reading from Psalm 22, but first, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Yet you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help. Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has, has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. The third reading is from John chapter 19. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, 
Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments amongst them and cast lots for my clothing. So, this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies, so that you also may believe. These things happened, so that the scripture would be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Amen. Father, for many of us, this is a familiar story. We thank you, Lord, for giving us four accounts of it in the Gospels that we have. And we pray tonight, Lord, remind us, warm our hearts, Draw us to Jesus again, as he cried out, it is finished. Lord, help us, we pray, for we ask it in his name. 
Amen. Amen. There have been many famous last words spoken throughout history, hasn't there? Some quite comical in nature and others more poignant. And here are a few, and I'm sure some of these are disputed, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Karl Marx said the following about last words. He said this, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Okay. The Irish playwright, novelist and poet Oscar Wilde is said to have said the following in his lead up to his death when he was in a hotel. He said this, my wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One or the other of us has to go, he said. The American uh, Benjamin Franklin said the following, a dying man can do nothing easily. And then lastly, Humphrey Bogart said this, referring to his illness and subsequent death, he said, supposed to have said the following, I should never have switched from scotch to martini in the cause of his death. How cynical is that? Famous final words. Some trivial, some desperately sad, aren't they? And yet some very memorable last words. And as we come to John 19 in front of you tonight, perhaps the Romans thought that they had the last word when it came to the crucifixion of Jesus. It was another job done, another executed person, another possible insurrectionist dealt with, a signal to those around, don't mess with us, a public warning to all when they saw the crosses that you didn't mess with the Romans. Maybe they thought that was the final word. Or maybe the Jews and the religious leaders thought they had the final word. Their scheming and plans had brought an end to this man called Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be the Son of Man. You see, when the Jews looked at the crucifixion, it said to them, here's a man abandoned, cursed by God. They had in their mind that verse from Deuteronomy which said, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Jesus was cursed in their minds. Did they think they had the final word when it came to the crucifixion of Jesus? And this gospel that you have open in front of us tonight has much to say about who has the final word. But first notice in chapter 19, verse 28, that it reminds us again, and let's be clear about this, that Jesus is no victim of the Romans or the Jews. In fact, we're told in verse 28 that knowing that all things were now complete or coming towards completion, Jesus' awareness is unbelievable in some parts of John. Is it because he's the son of God? That's what John wants you to believe, wants you to grasp. This is no ordinary man. He knows what is going to happen. He knows what is about to happen and what has to be yet done. And it's a trademark of John's gospel, it's a trademark of Jesus' life where he continually shows that he's in control and he is strikingly aware of the time frame and knowledge of what is to come, as verse 28 says. But do you remember throughout John's gospel, little cameos of it? Do you remember what he said to his mother when she said to him, sort out the wine that's run out? He said, my time has not yet come. Or in John 7, he said this bluntly, the right time for me has not yet come, but for you, any time is right. He would later say, I'm with you to his disciples only a little short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. This is a man that is aware of his time, aware of what he is moving towards. And then in John 13, do you remember that when we started it in January? 
He said this, it was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of it. He knows exactly the timings and what is to happen. Do you remember in John 16, he told them, but a time is coming when you will be scattered disciples. And in that lovely prayer in John 17, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Jesus is no victim. He is no individual who has fallen to circumstances. The Gospel of John wants us to see clearly and without any problem that Jesus has the final word at his crucifixion. And that he is fulfilling the scriptures even in those final moments. Last Sunday we saw in John chapter 19 verse 24 that even as the garments of Jesus are divided among the soldiers, we saw that through that the scriptures are being fulfilled. Do you remember Psalm 22 verse 18? It says this, they divided my garments among them and cast lot for my clothing. Old Testament passage fulfilled in John 19 as the soldiers divided up the the garments for a bit of extra extra, uh, bob. And as we see in chapter 19, verse 28, we're told that Jesus, knowing that all was now complete, coming to completion, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty, I thirst. You have got to look at these final words of Jesus on one level like this. Jesus has been beaten. He's probably lacking sleep from the interrogation that occurred the night before. He had to carry his own cross with some help. He's lost blood through the beatings, through the floggings. He's had to endure the physical pain of being crucified. And for some hours he's been in the eastern sun. And so it is understandable that thirst and dehydration has started to take its toll on those who would be crucified. And so he calls out, I am thirsty. But on another level, we look at some of the Old Testament Psalms which were pointing forward to the Messiah and his suffering. And here's what they say. And Bill read this one, if you you remember it. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. In Psalm 69, it says this, They put gall in my food and gave me wine vinegar for my thirst. These Psalms were pointing forward to the Messiah, the suffering one who would come and they are finding their ultimate fulfillment, their completion in the final moments of Jesus' life. He knew those Old Testament scriptures. He knew his Hebrew Bible. And here he is fulfilling it at the cross in his final moments. He cries out, I am thirsty. Yes, circumstantial, but also knowing that this was going to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. From verse 29 on, do you see what happens? The call out, I am thirsty. There's a reaction. Jesus has brought some wine vinegar to drink, which was soaked in a sponge and lifted up to him on a hyssop plant. And then verse 30 tells us, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bows his head and gave up his spirit. Three famous Last words, it is finished. 
If you were to say that a bit after Holy Week, I feel like it is finished. I'm done. But if you take those words, they mean different things for us, don't they? Perhaps you sent out the last email from work, even this afternoon, and you thought, I'm done. I'm finished. Job done. I remember completing a dissertation in, in, from a degree in geography, and I stayed up all night, had to have this thing bound, 10,000 words. It is finished. It's done. Perhaps some of you parents are here, and you saw your son or daughter get married, and you look at one teary eye in one eye, and then you say in the other, it is finished. I'm done. <laughs> or perhaps, sadly, maybe as a relationship has broken down and seems irreparable, maybe those words were said, it's finished. That's it. Done. Or maybe some of you are even in training or running for a 5 or 10k or half or full marathon. And you cross that line imagining aching bones, aching muscles, heart beating. And you say, it's finished. It's done. But the question is, what do these words mean for Jesus when he says, it is finished? Some have argued that this is a cry of desperation. A defeat, it's finished, I'm done for. But this can't be, especially in the Gospel of John and in the context of John's Gospel, because these words, it is finished, point us back into the Gospel to see that throughout this Gospel we see that Jesus has come on a mission to do the Father's work. Do you recall how in John chapter 1, verse 14, we get the very opening lines that the Word became flesh, And made his dwelling amongst us. And Jesus takes on flesh. Becomes human like you and I. And he does it for a mission. For a purpose. It is to do the will and purpose. And work of God. And that is why throughout John's gospel. Jesus is speaking in the following ways. And bear with me as I throw up these verses. And listen for the word work every time in it. John 5. He says this. For the very work that the father has given me to finish which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. As long as it is day, he says to his disciples, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And then he said in John 14, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are just not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then John 17, that lovely prayer again. I've brought you glory on earth, Father, by completing the work you've got me to do. Jesus' work was to make his Father known through his presence, through his obedience, through his teaching, his miracles and his way of life. And it was all done to show that he was the Son of God. And his cry, it is finished, was the completion of that work that his Father had sent him to do. In perfect obedience, he does it. Jesus' work was to be lifted up on the cross of Calvary. Jesus' work was to be the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus' work was to be the Lamb of God who would take away our sins. And his cry of, it is finished, was the completion of that work. What an amazing three words for the Son of God to cry out on the cross in John's gospel, it is finished. But for a moment tonight, I want to step back from John's gospel and take in the wider breadth of God's 
revealed word in scripture, then we see that the cry, it is finished, completed, should bring us back to the fall of Adam and Eve and to the aftermath when God said to the people and promised, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, that is Satan, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Since that day in the Garden of Eden, humanity has longed for a second Adam. One that wouldn't fall into temptation. One that wouldn't, would hold on to God's good word and character. One that would not believe the lies of the devil. One that would not rebel. And you see, Jesus Christ, it is finished, reminds us that Jesus is our second Adam. The one who brings eternal life. The one who gives us life in him. He didn't worship the devil. He didn't allow himself to be worshipping other things, but remained obedient to the Father's will and purpose. It is finished, complete, should remind us of the Passover lamb of Exodus, the lamb killed so that God's people would not be destroyed by the angel that came over Egypt. And here at Calvary, we have God's provision of his lamb, who is Jesus, whose death and sacrifice is once and for all. But did you notice in John chapter 19 that what we have here is John subtly and very deliberately in these verses he includes to show a couple of things that remind us of the Lamb of Exodus. First thing he mentions, do you pick it up? A hyssop plant. And I don't want to make too much of this. But the hyssop plant was used. What was it used? It was used to lift up the wine vinegar. Exodus used a hyssop plant to put the blood of the lamb on the door frame so that the angel of the Lord passed over it. John deliberately wants us to think Passover lamb. John mentions that none of Jesus' bones are broken at the cross. It's horrific, the crucifixion. They used an iron mallet to break legs for those who were still alive. And even if they were still alive, dead, if they were dead at that point, they probably did it for just to make sure they were dead completely. And yet, we understand from this passage who John, as the testifier, the one who's helping us believe that this is true, says, believe it, this is what happens. His bones weren't broken. Because when they come to Jesus, we're told that he was already dead. And what they do is not break his bones but they pierce his side. And if you go back to Psalm 34, verse 20, it says, he protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. What happens here is to Jesus is to fulfill the scriptures, but the hyssop and the unbroken bones are also pointing forward or back or whatever way you want to look at it to the fact that Jesus in John's gospel is the true Passover lamb. You see, in Exodus, it was a Passover lamb that died in order for the people to live. And John takes up this very same theme here in John's Gospel by giving us little subtle hints of it. And so he finds, it is finished. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. And we could talk about it is finished with regard to the kings. Jesus is the king who came 
when the Old Testament looked forward to one that wasn't flawed. They looked forward to one who would rule with righteousness, goodness, and perfection. What about the prophets throughout history and time, pointing forward to Jesus, reminding the people, he's coming, he's coming. And when he does come, we come into his final moments. And what does he say? It is finished. The completion of God's word. It is an amazing thing to think of it is finished with regards to what it has achieved, what it means, and what it has included. It is finished, these great three words. But the reality is, tonight, for Jesus, it was completing the work of his Father. For Jesus, it was the fulfillment of all those Old Testament imageries and patterns and typologies that were happening. But you know something else? It is finished has a life-changing reality for us too. It is finished means that Jesus has done all that is necessary for sinners like you and I to be made right with God. It is finished. It is finished means we no longer have to try and make ourselves right with God. He has done it for us. He has paid the debt because of our rebellion and sin. He says, it is finished. Your sin and mine is dealt with by Jesus at the cross. It is finished. Folks, I wonder, with some of us, do we find it very hard to forget our sin, let alone deal with it? And you know what? This verse, it is finished, is Jesus' words to us as sinners that your sin is dealt with, that it is paid for. Yes, Satan will remind you of it. He will love to remind you of past sins, of current sins that are there. But Jesus says, it is finished. And for those of us here tonight who are burdened by sin, for those of us who don't know how to deal with our sin, Jesus said at the cross of Calvary, it is finished. It is dealt with once and for all. He's paid for it. We do not have to pay for it ourselves because he says it is finished. It is finished means that we have a saviour who died in our place, our substitute. He is the man we all need, the king we all need. He suffered the consequences of our sin, not his own. And so it is finished means that he is our perfect saviour. It is finished means that God so loved us that he gave his one and only son. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Folks, Jesus said, it is finished, completing the work of his father. It is finished, history and time fulfilled in scripture. It is finished for you and I. And as we come to this passage in John, I want to finish by looking at two more points and then I'll pray. It is finished is what Jesus said. But we realize that we also need to look to that one who said those things because in verses 34 and 37, as I said, Jesus' bones were not broken. But what happened instead was that blood and water flowed from his side. Some have taken a very mystical view of what the blood and the water signify. 
I think there's a medical reason for what the sword did through his heart and lungs. But the reality is, his bones weren't broken, but his side was pierced. Is that a big deal? Zachariah thought it was. He spoke about the one that we would look on who was pierced. Fulfilling of scripture. And folks, we need to look on him again. Not just in the past when we made a decision to follow Christ, but we continue to look on the one who was pierced for us, who declares it is finished. And then lastly, we see in verses 38 to 41, it tells us that two men looked after the burial arrangements of Jesus, the modern day undertakers, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who was in chapter three. And they buried Jesus with customary tradition, with spices and linen cloths. But John emphasizes verse 41 and 42. It was a new tomb. Nobody had ever been laid in it. And Jesus was put in this tomb. One tomb. One body in it. And so we'll wait till Sunday to find out why that is so significant as we look at the resurrection of Jesus. Tonight, Jesus says, it is finished. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you tonight for John's emphasis and understanding of where the cross of Christ comes into play. Father, thank you that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures in all that he did. Even as the the Pharisees wanted to fulfill the scriptures of not having the body still overnight on the Sabbath, yet the true Lamb of God is the one who fulfills the true scriptures. And Father, tonight we rejoice in the fact that Jesus has died. We rejoice in the fact that he said, it is finished. That he completed the work that you had called him to do in full obedience and submission to your will, humbling himself. It is finished reminds us of all that he fulfilled in the Old Testament with regards to Adam, with regards to the Passover, the kings, the prophets. And Father, we thank you that it is finished has significance for each of us too. Father, thank you that our debt is paid. Our sin has been put on the Lamb of God. And thank you that he has taken it away, that he has suffered. He has met the wrath of God. And Father, we look forward to Easter Sunday. We look forward to the fact that he committed his spirit over to you. And Father, we thank you that we look forward to that Sunday when you raised him from the dead. And life has never been the same since. Father, we thank you for Jesus tonight. Thank you for reminding us of his cross, of his sacrifice, and of his words. It is finished. Praise you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.